0: Hi, everyone. I'm Tish Conlin for another episode of Tish Talk. Today, I have... Um Um, pilot, a pilot with me, uh, who many of you know from his uh, amazing patriotic work, Greg Hill. He is co-founder of Free to Fly. And some of you aren't aware of Free to Fly. And we're going to get into uh, why he created it and and what the purpose is. But Free to Fly is a nonprofit, uh, which allows aviation professionals and passengers to speak out against vaccine mandates uh, with a a unified voice. Um, Greg, himself is um you know he he's always from from what i read had a dream and um, apparently born and uh, at age 13 he spent uh 30 years flying if that's correct first in the military with multiple deployments around the world including afghanistan and then with a major canadian airline he was actually sidelined from flying and threatened with termination in 2021 um because of the mandates, so Greg is very passionate, as am I, about speaking about freedom in general, uh, which led to the founding and uh, of, of free to fly. So, welcome, Greg. How are you today?
1: Good. Thanks so much for having me on, Tish.
0: Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. And um, I, you know, I, I have some people in my audience who. Are just kind of waking up to what's going on, um, so a lot of times I'll, I'll say things that some people already know, but you know we're we're trying to catch people up as well and get a unified force here in Canada so we can do better in the future. Uh, before we went on live. Um, we were talking about the corruption with uh, Transportation Canada. I know that's been a, a focus of yours, and I hope you can create change with that minister, Omar Al, Al- Gabra. Um, but yeah, can you give us a little idea of your background? Um, and, I, you know, and even uh, obviously the pressing question that many people have is is it safe to fly?
1: Sure. Well, I'll start with the first one and give you, I guess, the Reader's Digest version of uh, of what brought me to uh, sitting on a uh, on a call with you on a Thursday uh, afternoon, rather than doing all sorts of other things people do uh, when they're home, not working. Uh, well, back in twenty twenty, uh, I'll try and keep this uh, fairly focused, but my COVID journey and I would say we all have that awakening moment. At the time I was uh, chairing the private school board and I saw what we were starting to do with the schools and the kids as, uh, as COVID rolled out. So quite quickly all I was doing was looking at government data and I'm a little bit of a geek when it comes to data so I started plugging numbers into a spreadsheet and it was literally less than an hour and I thought something doesn't add up here. So fast forward from that, that that was a journey unto itself uh, with this school. But as we moved into 2021, the government, of course, started talking vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. And I thought to myself, wow, uh, all of the eggs are in one basket. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What if what if this magical egg doesn't work, which started a whole separate uh, investigation? And I won't go on and on about that, but I realized pretty quickly that if there was going to be some kind of a vaccine mandate, that aviation was going to be on the pointy end of it, just by nature of the fact that we travel and and, uh, where things were going so it started with a handful of pilots uh it, it it started as well with a bit of an education as to what the charter is and what the charter is not and i would say it's not much at this point here in 2023 right. that as well is a very separate long conversation
0: Yes, i like I to agree. talk
1: about uh god-given freedoms rather than state uh mm-hmm. gifted freedoms but so we we sat down with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. Lisa Building was very kind to sit on a call with a number of us, and then it morphed quite quickly into uh, far more aviation professionals. So it wasn't uh, just pilots, pilots, flight attendants, air traffic control, maintenance, uh, the whole gamut of what we have within aviation. And then very importantly, what we wanted to do was position ourselves as as an advocate advocacy group for those affected by the mandate. So. It exploded into uh, over 40,000 uh, both wow. aviation professionals and passengers. Uh, the majority were dis- disaffected passengers unable to travel. and we heard all sorts of uh, really mm-hmm. difficult and heartbreaking stories of of what transpired because of uh, of this mandate. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the birth of Free to fly itself. Uh, of course, in June of last year, the vaccine mandate was suspended, I use that word uh okay. carefully because um you just never know where where things are going whether it's uh whether it's a vaccine mandate whether it's arrive can or anything else and, and we've been vocal about most things that have impacted aviation uh, in this country and then as we move post mandate uh, of course a large portion of that group of aviation professionals as well as many of our passengers lost their jobs either for the better part of the year and some are still out of work including uh Those in the aviation community, some of them were outright fired and didn't get their jobs back. So myself, I'm blessed to be back uh, flying at this point, along with uh, with with others of my colleagues who were out of work for uh, for the year. But that kind of gets you up to speed with uh, with how we got to to where we're at. Wow. And I can I can answer the other question uh, right away if you like, or uh, yeah, or, or ab- hand it absolutely.
0: Over to you. Yeah, well, it's great to hear that you're flying again. Um, that that's 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 fantastic nude So yes, I mean, you know, people within uh, the freedom movement are uh, you know, there's lots of rabbit holes. Some things are true, as, as as some things are false. It's hard to tell, and discernment is critical. And yet we and and we don't want a fear monger because that's what the other side side does. Um, but at the same um, on the same token, particularly in the U.S., not not really in Canada so much, but we've heard of even in the last few weeks, pilots having you know just taking off and having um, heart attacks or myocarditis, other issues. I mean, it is mm-hmm. clear that these shots are not safe and are not effective. But um, I mean, I was heartened to hear you feel strongly that it is safe to fly. Um, well, and, yeah, with two pilots uh, available.
1: Yeah, so I mean, just stepping back a little bit. Um, so back last year, uh, around maybe a little after the after this time last year, I believe it was around May, I uh, partnered a coalition with a number of other similar groups to uh, to free to fly, including the U.S. Freedom Flyers, the Aussie Freedom Flyers, uh, and and a number of other groups in Europe, specifically to highlight our concerns with this uh, this job being given to to flight crew and as far as free to fly goes here in canada we also partnered with the canadian covid care alliance and we yeah a, a document was put together because we sat down on a zoom call with them and they said of any uh profession in this country pilots are probably the ones they're most concerned about given the realities of what these jobs do and don't do in part because we sit for long periods of time in thin air at altitude Mm-hmm. And so a document was put together at about 13 pages long it can be found on our website Byron Bryles uh, name was on it and we gave this to uh, to the two largest pilot unions in the country along with uh, a couple major airlines uh, and to this to this date no response uh, has been received so clearly I have concerns as do my other like-minded colleagues uh, with the reality here and I have spent hours on the phone with jab injured Canadian airline pilots mm-hmm. so we have seen Uh, incidents over the past year. Uh, I've looked at the data. Uh, There's something online called CADORS, stands for Civil Aviation Daily Occurrence Reporting uh, System. I'm not sure if there's an S on the end or not. But it highlights everything that happens as far as incidents uh, in this country. It can be uh, taxiway incursions or otherwise. So they have in there what's called crew incapacitation. So you can go and look at the data. Now, CADORS, it lags terribly, like most things to do with the government these days. So it's probably running two to three months behind typically. But even in 2023, uh, Transat had a couple crew incapacitations. And when I say crew, this is both pilot and flight attendant. Uh, The majority of what you'll find in this database, and I looked at it all the way back to the late 80s, are flight attendants, simply by nature of the fact that there's far more of them. Right. So what that does highlight is it highlights that crew incapacitation has been an issue since aviation was a thing, really. This isn't something new. There's things online uh, somebody posted uh, late last year that their husband, for the first time ever as a pilot, is beginning to train in the simulator for crew incapacitation. Well, that's it, maybe that's the case with, with her husband, but I can tell you back to my military days 20-plus years ago, we were training for crew incapacitation. So... Let me be clear the risk is elevated right now it's it's elevated anytime there's a crew incapacitation Mm -hmm. and the other thing to keep in mind i don't want to jump too far back and forth because because this is a rather deep rabbit hole and, and there's a lot of information here if you're flying on a flight a commercial flight there's two pilots or if you're flying somewhere like Australia, there's four pilots because they can't stay awake flying uh, based on, on flight rules for 14 to 16 hours. So they cycle through the seats. There's a crew rest. Now, there are single pilot flights in this country. And oh. and, and that's, well, not, well, I, I, I'm referring, um, you know, more so to somebody gets up on assessment 152 and, and goes flying. And so, that you know, there's concerns there as well. And we've highlighted that as far as our coalition uh, goes. But... When it comes to a flight, let's say you get on a flight uh, and you're going from point A to point B and halfway there, one of the pilots has an issue. Now, this could be myocarditis. It could be a stroke. It could be food poisoning. It could be all sorts of things. What that does is it creates an elevated risk scenario. Uh, So the the remaining pilot takes control if he doesn't have control already. And 98 percent of the time in a commercial flight, you're on autopilot. Now that's not to say that we sit there and the airplane just flies itself. I like to be clear with that. You can get behind, uh, you can get behind an airplane pretty uh, quickly, just given the energy and everything else. So, but if you're cruising at altitude, um, it's a matter of you know transferring the system to the other side, securing the other pilot in his seat. If you've got another pilot on board, perhaps uh, perhaps swapping them out, or at least securing him. And then, what needs to happen is mostly for his health and safety, uh, diverting to an aircraft to to get him medical attention. So a diversion with two pilots is a high workload environment, and now you're trying to do it with one guy uh, or gal. So they're having to reprogram, they're having to talk to air traffic control, coordinate with the flight attendants, coordinate with the company, uh, determine whether at the new station, determine if there's services uh, that are that are there or not there. It's so the, it instantly elevates the risk. If an event like that happens on takeoff or landing, obviously, the, that's the highest workload and risk environment anytime flying, which uh, should be obvious to most people. So so there's definitely concerns, but this this summoning of imagery or wording that I've seen posted online by, by certain people saying that uh, you know an imminent uh, catastrophe, or even in the States, we had a former FAA employee who was like-minded uh, say that people in apartment buildings and beaches and homes should be concerned about airplanes falling out of the sky, uh, impacting their building. And, and to me, that's reprehensible and completely mm-hmm. irresponsible because anybody with knowledge of aviation knows that that's not what happens to the pilot incapacitation. The plane doesn't suddenly plummet from thirty six thousand feet. Again, you know, if if both pilots were to have an issue, then eventually, you know, clearly, you'd have uh, you, you'd have a major issue. But at the same time, you could say, well, a dual engine failure uh, would be similar. Now, we don't train for dual engine failures typically. We train for single engine failures all the time, like we train for single pilot incapacitation. So that's a, a long winded way. To explain right. some of the reality, I, I want to provide balance here. I, I don't want to go to the other extreme and say, "Well, it's not a big deal; nobody needs to think about it." Because I've I've dedicated enormous amounts of time and energy over the past couple of years to highlighting the risk to pilots and to the population as a whole, up right. to and including the point I was willing to end my thirty-year flying career over it.
0: Yes. So clearly, I'm
1: passionate about this, and and I want to make sure people understand um that it's an issue but we try to be solution focused here and so what we're trying to do is get people to advocate for solutions and we can talk about uh, about those maybe here too
0: absolutely I, i like to talk about solutions but i did want to say you know what i think is far more reprehensible is that we have a government and the the transportation minister who mandated uh experimental product that is you know is is definitely i mean no matter what you say it it doesn't even work um you know people can debate Mm -hmm. about the harm um and i find even when you tell people data on you know actual harm and they see it sometimes it doesn't sink in so you know we have to what's happening with with uh with a lot of people not people you know even in the freedom movement is there's so much stress Mm -hmm. um, because there are so many things that are just ready to explode um, that people are, it's almost like a... a- Post traumatic stress disorder, trauma response. And this is what our government has put on us by, you know, um, the, 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 the weaponization of media and dividing us and all of the, the shaming and the blaming and the canceling and now weaponizing uh, the, um, you know, um, censorship. Um, and we have a minister who never gave, uh, you know, for such an important area, not only with pilots, but obviously with truckers. And all of the mandates for truckers who sit alone in their cars, um, mm-hmm. which prompted, you know, the, the, the freedom convoy. And I, I, you know, I was there many times. Um, so, you know, we have a government that won't listen to people. Um, they, they don't use common sense at all. Um, they're highly infiltrated, whether you say it's the World Economic Forum or just with other corporate interests, you know, classic fascism, big government and big business. And, you know, like you said in the, um, the initial uh, few minutes is that you've sent countless letters, they don't listen. And this is something I've experienced and many, many people is that whole uh, gap between uh, a government who has the authority and power to make a difference won't listen, and you having data now years worth of data? Um, how do we get them to listen, and how do we stop this um, this this horrifically uh, reckless uh, way of, of, of doing um, you know a, so called uh, protecting Canadians? Uh, which is just the opposite. So I think that the government behavior is truly reprehensible. I can, um, you know, I try not to be too fearful, although uh, we don't know what's true. So we're just putting information out there. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to get into solutions and see if you have, um, you know, anything that will move transport canada other than you know um you know removing this individual from the role which i do think he should uh, step down immediately because what it's gross incompetence at a minimum
1: yeah well it's i like to say transport canada uh, in my view has abdicated the role as a safety regulator for at least three three years when you're rolling out something like this, particularly in in a community where you've got people with hundreds of lives uh, at their hand, and when we've had fairly clear guidance in the past as to how this is done, there was there was no uh, there was no testing as far as efficacy, as far as uh, harms or otherwise. And uh, just to 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 give you an example of this, and and also uh, get a little visual. Uh, yeah a little visual action here too so years uh years ago um there was on the um on the transport canada website a statement and i'll just pull it up here uh in the red box down here so it says well transport canada civil aviation medicine places no restrictions on vaccines approved by health canada, It remains the general position that participation in medical trials is not considered compatible with aviation medical certification, which essentially says pilots should not be taking something uh, that hasn't been fully approved. Uh, And so myself, along with several others, the week of July 13th of uh, 21, began emailing uh, the Eastern Regional Medical Director with Transport Canada and i was asking just for myself i said if if i end up losing my medical because if a pilot loses uh, his or her medical that's essentially the end of their career wow. so i said if if i lose my medical who's responsible for this and who's going to you know mm-hmm. uh, compensate me in the end and and the answer was well you're you're far more at risk from covid than you are from these vaccines and i said based on what long term studies mm-hmm. and then the conversation just didn't happen anymore so these, and then we were emailing also about this particular sentence. And the answer was, well, these are fully approved. And I said, they're not, they're approved under interim order, which is very, very different. If you actually read the interim order and it wasn't difficult, it was only about three pages long, as I recall, it was very clear. It, it was what we in the military used to call pencil whipping. Basically, you're going to go and get the job done and you'll start the paperwork out later and hope it all matches up. That was yes. largely what it said yes so so this was what's on the website and you and this is from the wayback machine which which you or others may be aware of it's a fantastic tool because you can go and see all the changes that happen on websites so this is what the website looked like on july 21st a week after we asked these questions this is what it looked like on the 22nd they simply removed that from from the website they full on memory hold it and you can see this here is the heat map that shows the changes on this website so you can see that this statement had been there for years and years nothing happened until right around the 13th we started asking questions and then all of a sudden they started um changing things on their website so uh fast forward about a year later we began emailing transport canada and this is our website here there's a bunch of resources including some of these solutions that we've talked about contacts here that you can uh, you can contact uh, the minister you can contact transport uh, Mm -hmm. you can contact some people at the airlines or the unions but these are some letters that we sent through this coalition to transport canada basically saying hey we want to partner in safety here in aviation because we're pilots we're fully invested we're great risk mitigators we want to partner with with flying properly and safely in this country, so we asked some fairly pointed questions. Um, that's not it. There, the, the letters. I won't go into all the details with the letter, but there was there was two letters. It went. It was it was three months before Mr. Al Gabra finally answered. Um, and this uh, this was the second letter uh, somewhere here. I don't know. It's not coming up. It doesn't really matter. But there, there yes. were questions about had they what had they done essentially to ensure this was safe have they been tracking incidents etc in the end he finally answered with uh i think it was three paragraphs basically liberal speaking points saying yeah. uh you know health canada has fully approved these and we stand behind them and and that was really um That's really awesome. the end of it and so um fast forward now to 2023 and My concern at this point, because there's there's been a fair bit, certainly in in alternative media speaking about pilot incapacitations. The problem with pilot incapacitations, and I'm as concerned about them as anybody else, but but let's get down to the nitty gritty and and talk reality. Because we've got to think we've got to be thinking how the other side thinks. And the first question they ask is, how can you prove causality? And it's Mm -hmm. a fair question. Uh, Unless you're someone like Captain uh, Snow in the States, who was an American Airlines pilot who had a heart attack right after landing in Dallas and in the hospital lifted up his shirt, I don't know if people have seen it with all attached with with, uh, all of the heart monitoring and everything else and said the vaccine did this to me, I'll probably never fly again. So there's an courageous individual. Uh, who stood up and said, this is what happened. The problem is with these incapacitations, the vast, vast, vast majority of the time is it's a matter of private medical concern. And typically the family and the, the individual don't want to talk in public about it. And right. so it's difficult to really drill down into what's actually happening. Now, like I said, I've, I've spent hours on the phone with, uh, with jab injured pilots here in this country uh, whether it's uh, heart, you know, heart type issues, uh, chest pains, whether it's hearing, vision, uh, high performance mm-hmm. athletes that are seeing, you know, halving of their capacity as far as running and otherwise, these things are happening. But trying to prove the causality is very difficult. And so, so I sit back a little bit frustrated along with a lot of other people and think, what do I do? Do I just keep posting these incapacitations over and over again? And granted, some of them in fairness may have nothing to do uh with with Mm -hmm. the jab uh i also have a difficult time when somebody passes away with with running right behind the ambulance and and pointing and trying to gain traction for a narrative because of it because i think it's very insensitive to the, the to the families of those that have been affected so i think what can we do well here's another rather um i would call it personally shocking uh, reality here in Canada. So some of you may have seen in the states there was a fair bit of noise made both by Tucker Carlson and Steve Kirsch about the fact that uh, American airline pilots they had changed their e- EKG monitor, uh, parameters, yes. right? Yeah.
0: yeah, I read that. I was yeah, ask so you they, about that. yeah yeah so
1: you know if the acceptable window was this big they 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 stretched it so that mm-hmm. uh, so that more guys weren't flagged. Well, here's the reality in Canada. We, do, we don't actually assess them based on PR values. In my view, it's worse. What we're doing is back in pre, pre-COVID, an airline pilot had to have a medical and, and an EKG. Uh, well, the EKG depended on your age, but you had to have an in-person medical, which makes total sense, of course. Yes. Annually. Or for a while, if you're over 40, it was every six months. Now, it's, if you're over 60, it's every six months. But annually, you had to see a doctor. You had to be... Uh, tested, looked at to make sure that you weren't going to have a major major issue while you're flying. Then COVID hit. So we're in that gray zone where people are like, what do we do? Right? Like, uh, okay. So initially they just extended uh, expiration dates, which even then I was like, okay, well, that that makes sense while we figure out what's going on. Right. Well, then we moved into 2021 and transport said, well, hang on a second. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow telemedicals. You're going to be able to just phone in or just do an attestation. You could literally Um, just sign a piece of paper and saying, I'm feeling uh, healthy.
0: Wow, that's really bad, to say the least.
1: Yeah, so that was 2021. They extended it again into 2022. So, So let's just revisit together the reality of, say, November, December of 2022, or even January, February of this year. The nation has... I won't say gone back to normal because we're not back to normal. But, but you could you could go anywhere and do anything pretty much. If you wanted to wear a mask, uh, go ahead. But but you didn't have to, right? So as an airline pilot in this country, I could hop on a crowded subway, go downtown Toronto, and sit with twenty thousand people cheering and screaming at a hockey game, which is fantastic. I welcome this new you know reality in this country. However, according to Transport Canada. I could not sit in a pristine airline office alone with my doctor because the, the reasoning was social distancing and hazardous health hazardous healthcare environments.
0: Right. Wow. It's just it's it's almost ludic it's almost comical it seems like again i was interviewing um a a gentleman who i've gotten to know over the years through different things but it's almost like a like a tv plot it's just so ridiculous it could almost be dark comedy but it's our real life um and you know you can get a sense of how people felt with communism except we, we haven't had all our stuff taken away yet, but the ludicrousy of these rules and it's 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 gross negligence and incompetence, uh, and, and far more than that. but well, you know, yeah why this... why? Why can they not have an in-person medical checkup? Are they worried about what will be found? That's the only thing I can think of is that if they did it in person, they, the, you know, if you do a D-dimer test, which I think should be mandatory now for all pilots mm-hmm. is that they mm-hmm. all have a D-dimer test. If they all took a D-dimer test, there might be um, huge red flags um, possibly that come up. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not fear I'm just saying, I think a D-dimer test would be practical and useful going yeah. forward. Um, yeah,
1: well, we've advocated for the same uh, or, uh, you know, cardiac MRIs or otherwise. So uh, unbelievably, uh, I, I, that, that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is still uh, still coming here. So, so it was set to expire the 1st of March of this year, which was like, well, thank goodness we're finally going to move past this because it, it is, as you point out, a complete decoupling of, I wouldn't even say science, just of common sense uh, from policy.
0: And ethics, so, ethics as well. Right. Right, yeah.
1: exactly. So, so the beginning of March it was supposed to expire. Well, unbelievably, Transport Canada has now extended the ability of pilots to. So, so in this case, and I just want to be clear, clear with the facts. You had to have, you know, you have to have an in person medical. You can only do a telemedical twice in a row, but that means you can go thirty six months without seeing a doctor. So we've had a lot of guys who haven't had an uh, an EKG. ECG, EKG for 36 months. Now, most of them are coming up on the period where they have to get in there and do that. But Transport Canada, unbelievably, has just renewed this exemption through to 2025. And so my my concern here is, clearly, we have concerns, not just with pilots, with with the population as a whole, but but pilots. And as you pointed out, transport drivers and otherwise, I, I, I like to say, there's a lot of focus on aviation, and I appreciate it because I've been part of, of pushing that focus. But at the same time, we've got people driving vehicles, you know, literally inches from each other, essentially single pilot truck drivers, bus drivers, etc. That I mean, there's, there's concern across the way. And we don't, again, want to run around living in fear. But we have a means to screen at the very least with, with annual ECGs and transport is choosing. And then the justification now they took social distancing out. The justification now is flexibility and my point is since when has aviation ever been uh focused on flexibility over safety we we went through a fairly dark period in the 70s where there was a number of uh of, of uh crashes and otherwise and we really started to get our uh ourselves together we started to focus on uh on biases and uh, and on communication and and really focused on safety. There, there's something called uh, SMS safety management system, and the airlines in this country are all participating in it. And it's it's uh, an environment that you work in, whereby uh, it encourages communication, it encourages reporting, it encourages feedback. And here we are trying to focus on this and saying, listen, if we're concerned f- from a health and safety standpoint, and this is a matter of health and safety, why are we allowing transport to do this? Now the the reality is pilots can demand an in-person medical and i think they should the problem is it will w- take something like my license we, we've taken medicine now we've we've made it subjective so i can just call in and say i feel right.
0: okay yeah well,
1: I, I i feel like a great pilot but that doesn't mean i can skip my simulators right i still well, have to do them
0: so yeah and i guess the the obvious concern i mean there's 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 quite a few concerns about the ethics of um, the Transport Canada, but the obvious concern is for someone who's taken the shot and now the information has been out for years on the harm that's being done. And say you, you don't have a lot of savings and you have a family to feed, you don't mm-hmm. want your, you know, you don't want to have a failing, what would happen if they failed the test? Would they not be allowed to fly? Um, like right. what are, well, so this who wants the, that? A lot of yeah. people are struggling financially. So mm-hmm. the last thing they want is um, to have elevated score. And that might affect their income. I mean, that's a well, real practical concern. And you know, uh, not that it's right. But you can yeah. understand why a pilot who is has uh, taken these shots and then has some level of concern or doesn't feel well might hide it. Um, yeah.
1: Well, and this is where we've got to get back though to doing what's right and not not just what's uh, what's expedient, right? And and, and yeah. so this is the part where I have a real problem because there's been a, there's been a fair bit of communication even over the last few weeks um, with yeah. with the airlines with the unions about this issue. And the answer, I'm generalizing a bit, but the answer tends to be, well, nothing bad has really happened. And pilots can always ask to come in if they want to, which is when I say the same thing I just said. It's not a subjective issue. And to that point, so the Transportation Safety Board, again, this is the part, as you said, Tish, where it's hard to script this stuff sometimes. So the 1st of March. They extended these telemedicals well two weeks later on the 14th the transportation safety board which is an independent body released an accident report from a crash in alberta now this was a private aircraft single pilot and tragically uh the pilot died in the in this crash and it was determined that it was precipitated by a cardiac event now the key piece here is he was an airline transport pilot so he flew commercially and that year he had attested his fitness, he didn't have to go in and do a medical. Now, would it have been captured if he'd done an ECG? Nobody really knows, only God Probably knows. Probably, though. But the, the, the issue here is now we've got uh, we've got precedent, at least to a certain extent. And the TSB pointedly, as part of this report, said, Transport Canada needs to review their guidance to their civil aviation medical examiners and update it, which, which is about as pointed as you're going to get within the government sphere, you know, as far as pokey chest type stuff yeah,
0: goes ex- exactly yeah and so you whatever. are right because um, you know, you and maybe your group have highlighted some of the concerns within aviation. That's kind of works both ways maybe for mm-hmm. you. But anyone who's operating any type of uh, vehicle, and it could even be like uh, boats as well. And all of these train incidences uh, we've had with derailments, trains, boats, planes, buses, uh, large trucks. I mean, a single, a single driver in a bus who has a cardiac event, that, that could take a, a, as many people as a plane crash and you know in and, and you don't have two of them often they're single drivers as you said so i mean these transport canada has jurisdiction over a, a lot of uh, a lot of areas and, and i think this this it, it sounds like it would be uh, critical to have something like this in place well and this, where, yeah, and, and this is the part where
1: yeah and this is the part where and you know this is a small in the grand scheme of, of everything that's happening in our nation this is a is small piece, but but this is a battle uh, that's you know, it's one one conversation, one little action at a time, and and I, I you know I may see to sound like an idealistic eighteen year old in saying that, but truly, you know, Solzhenitsyn said back in seventy three, you know, if there was a thousand of us or ten thousand of us, they would not recognize our country, and, and and so people have to understand that their individual actions matter, and so even with something like this, I say take the time to call or email an airline Mm -hmm. your member of parliament or otherwise, and just highlight this issue because I mean, it's such low hanging fruit. It's so nonsensical. It's so easy to, to, you know, to, to hammer at it Mm -hmm. because it, for decades, it was absolutely required in the Canadian air regulations that you would have a medical. Uh, and it may seem that I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but my point is if, if we have an ability to screen for something we're concerned about, like I said, we could keep posting uh, pilot incapacitation events forever, and, and it's important for people to understand, but what difference is that making? It, it's creating some awareness, which is important. But but here's a, here's something we can do, screen pilots properly. At the well, very least, let's do annual uh, medical. So, th- so yeah. that's one thing we're uh, we're working on.
0: I agree. And, and, and I mean, in a solution, if someone's listening and maybe they think, well, I'm a pilot and I'm concerned because I took the shot, but I felt coerced. I think that person should be compensated. So say their score comes up high, they should get um their salary um given to them. They sh- they they need compensation because they they uh, they did something that was told was safe and effective. So really under their the co coercion Um, and I hope it comes to light because um, you know that the data about the harm and people can seek recourse because if it's determined a lot of people's scores eventually are elevated and it is a real it's all over the world in many different sectors um, they need compensation and I think because we are getting to the point where now I know there is a, a very prominent legal battle in Switzerland against the Minister of Health a first high-level government official and the president by uh, someone who's been injured by the shot at a high level, a high-ranking uh, individual. It's getting a lot of attention because if they have success there, they can, they can actually use that as a precedent for everywhere else in the world. Um, and so we're starting to see these legal challenges come out. And uh, because, if you know, you don't want to fly if you're if you if you're if you have an issue with your heart, really. And it's a tragedy. I listened to Ron Johnson, who's the only senator in the States, I think, who's really highlighted the the vax injured. And there was a pilot there who spoke as well. And he spoke and he was crying because, you know, like you, it's a real passion flying. Mm -hmm. Like it's a it's a joy, isn't it, for you Um, and for many people and to have that taken away. Is, is is devastating. So, you know, hopefully there will be a recourse for people. I, I do believe in future, all these, anyone who's uh, behind the wheel of anything, needs to be tested regularly uh, because of the harm of this shot. And, it, you know, it's not so rare at all. You're looking at data that we can't confirm now, but there's a huge number of people who have uh, heart issues. I know Dr. Charles Hoff has highlighted in his own community. The harm done and many, many other doctors now are speaking out in Canada and I had the opportunity to co-present with Byron Bridal at an event as well, and I know he's really shifted his view on not just this shot, but some of the other ones. But yeah, I mean, speaking, I I, I like that as a solution. And and if you could get that through, it's the smallest things that make a difference because we do need a critical mass. And that's another thing I wanted to ask you about because there are a lot of people who are getting burned out in the freedom movement. And and a lot of them, they have big hearts like myself. And I jumped right in and took, you know, I've lost most of my business and clients and friends and um, people who I, I thought would stick with me. Um, and, you know, we aren't going to win this until we get a critical mass. So can you speak on that? Maybe now as a warrior on the importance of speaking out, because the few of us, if we keep just speaking, the few of us get more and more burned out. I see people uh, financially burning out. People's stresses are through Mm -hmm. the roof. Can you speak on that? Because I, I think we just need more people to get involved all over the place.
1: No, I appreciate the question. And certainly there is fatigue that's beginning to set in. And I think in part, what's happening is there's so much information out there that it's creating a little bit of a white noise effect. And it's very difficult for people to really focus on on what's what matters, right? And what's critical. And, and that's going to change depending on who you are and, and your stage of life, right? Some of the things that are happening with let's say the sexualization of children and otherwise might be more a focus for people with, with young children. Now, having said that in my fifties, I'm very passionate about it as well, because if, if, you know, whoever controls the next generation really controls uh, this country, but you know, right from, from the get go, um, I, re- I referred back a fair bit to, to a quote uh, by Judge Learned Hand that you've probably heard. And that's liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. When it dies there, no constitution, no law, no court can save it. No constitution, no law, no court can even do much to help it. And what that means is ultimately this comes down to the individuals. Now we've got some things going on legally uh, with, with Free to Fly. I'm in touch with, with politicians and otherwise, and I do think they have their place. But I'm fond of saying that politics is downstream of culture. And unfortunately, in this country, I would say politics uh, or the judiciary is downstream of politics, unfortunately. It's, It's very biased and the courts have really taken a side as far as this COVID narrative. Ergo, we're back at the start with culture. And until we change culture, I really don't see um, a, a profound change happening. Uh, and so, you know, it's back to the, to the actions of individual people and there's days Tish where, I mean, I run our social media. I wasn't on any social media until this whole mess uh, happened and I really don't have, uh, I don't have a fondness for it. And, and, uh, it's, it's a bit of a black hole and, and you get ratioed and suppressed and you put all this effort in, you know, we've got, we've got 40 plus thousand followers across the various, uh, our various platforms, but I I can tell unequivocally with the metrics that the stuff just isn't getting out there and you, but you continue to battle away at it. But, but I, I say, honestly, I I feel like if people as a whole stopped and I'm speaking for free to fly here, uh, stopped following us, uh, stopped watching our videos, stopped reading our social media, turned all of it off and then entered the real world. And mm-hmm. lived in radical truth, and by mm-hmm. that I mean when you're confronted with something that's wrong, when you're confronted with something that you disagree with, you speak courageously and you speak truth. You yes. speak it with your neighbors, your employers, your family, and otherwise. That would make a difference far more than spending your time watching more videos or reading yes. our social media posts or otherwise. Um, I and,
0: and- I I agree, and I I I mean I've learned um, a little bit of softening, but I've never stopped from speaking the truth, no matter what people think. And I've, uh, people get triggered, but that's nothing to do with me. I've learned because even when I warned good, dear friends and, you know, I'm a person I've known the friends since I was a kid and a baby, I've never lost friends until COVID. And then they all fell away and it really mm. wasn't on my side. Um, and some of them have come back, which is wonderful, but I, and I always kept a place for them to come back, but I never stopped, of. Uh, telling them the data the truth um, mm-hmm. and um, you know you can't and even in the community and wherever um, you got to stand strong and and if you do continue to stand strong over the days the weeks the months and now it's the years it is the years mm-hmm. eventually things do shift and the shift has already started I would really like to see I spoke with Alan Brough, uh, who's the executive director of Canada Health Alliance and I speak there regularly Um, and, um, You know, we had a good chat the other day, but he was he was saying as well that you really have to continue to speak out and eventually the numbers will grow. Um, Each action affects the next. You might think Mm -hmm. it's uh, not, but it's a seed you plant today will grow along with the other 10 or 20 people who also may be planted a seed. And that Mm -hmm. critical mass is what we need to change things around now that we're entering into the next part of this war, um, which is the war uh, using the narrative of the climate climate alarm, uh, you know, climate sustainability, Agenda 2030, and the smart cities, um, mm-hmm. which is really a digital uh, prison for us. that they're Yeah,
1: collecting. well, yeah, and you bring up a good point, and I'm quite passionate, uh, as I think we all should be, you know, the, the combination of digital ID and digital currency is, is really the death of liberty. And so th- this brings up uh, another point here, and it's relevant to what you were saying. And this is the harsh truth here. Um, I, I, you know, you use the words like warrior and otherwise, and I think we are in a battle. Uh, I, I believe personally, it's a spiritual battle and, and that's where my 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 grounding comes from, is my Christian faith. And, and without that, I really, uh, I don't know how people are getting through this, But but to this battle type analogy, this is the reality in my my view. You know, if you you take uh, the scenario of something like a battle in the trenches, it doesn't do a lot of good for the leader. And I think we all need to be leaders within this like-minded community. Every every single one of us needs to be a leader. So when you're taking incoming fire, standing up and screaming about the bullets, you know, and saying, we're being shot at, it's very (laughs) ineffective. And it actually creates chaos and confusion for the people that you're supposed to be leading. So what you need to be doing is determine where the fire is coming from determine some action and then act courageously and act um in an effective and a specific manner because it's become somewhat cliched but it's no less true courage begets courage and we've seen this over and over again and we so desperately need people that are willing to stand up Mm -hmm. and and here's the other reality and this was really the point i was meaning to make two minutes ago when i started this uh this bit of a rant History tells us this: um, that we were, we're not going to get out of this era underneath budding totalitarians without courageous action that leads to suffering some loss in the process. And that's been the reality with with courageous people across this country that were willing to stand up and lose their jobs, um, their homes, sometimes their marriages, and otherwise to stand for what they uh, what they believed in. And I've really wrestled with this over this past particularly the last six months or so, is what do we really uh, do about this? What comes next? And uh, you know, and out of that, I penned a, a declaration. Um, and I, I won't go in and read the whole thing. Oh, it, please it's on our go web ahead. website. But well, it, it's, it's a- on our website. You'll find it underneath this resource hub. It's called Declare Your, Cur- Declare Your Courage
0: um oh can you read just part of it um because i did read that once yeah just maybe the top part
1: well this is the i mean this is really the intro uh to it and and it's uh it's more probably a little bit more eloquent than the off the cuff saying everything that i just said but this to me is is what needs to come over the next months and years. And uh, and I do believe it's going to be a difficult time. And I think we need to, to sit back and do what I call is a gut check, is, is decide in advance what you're willing to stand for and how far you're willing to go in the process. And I, I, so it... I, I...
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and I, I am going to read this declaration for the audience because I think it's important to hear it. Not, not just for the people who have made the commitment, who are doing the work, and I applaud them, but also for the people who are... Or just hanging back and hiding because we need those people, and mm-hmm. you know, be prepared to take short-term uh, financial loss. It doesn't matter if the country is ruined and we're in communism; you'll have nothing, and you won't be happy. Um, yeah. Be prepared to be slandered and people to get upset with you. That's not the worst. It's worse if someone comes and takes you from your home, or, or removes your home, or takes away more freedoms, or tells you you can't leave a fifteen-minute grid. Um, I'll just read a few of them for people. Declaration, I declare all that follows Calling out as a lie the societal claim that change is impossible. It begins with me. I wholeheartedly pursue truth and will not speak, sign, or write anything that is not. As far as I know the truth, I will, in spite of the cost, speak out against lies. I will stand alone, if need be, knowing that freedom is the sure possession of those alone who have the courage to defend it. Um, I will not repeat nor support radically progressive ideological mantras. I will walk out of state corporate or privately enforced indoctrinations on the same. I will not acquiesce to the state's violation of my God-given freedoms of speech, worship, conscience, bodily autonomy. I will persevere in the face of threats to my livelihood, status, or reputation. I've had all of those in spite of the pain or of my own self-doubt. And I love that part too, because a lot of people question their worth and I tell them every single action makes a difference. And finally, I will support with my words, actions and finances, others convicted of this need for a relentless commitment to truth, freedom and conscience. And I think that's excellent, Greg. Um, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I think the last uh, point is uh, is an important one to maybe uh, land on, and and that is communities of support. And I don't see a way of us getting through uh, what is uh, is likely coming for us over the next months and years. I mean, even today. Uh, we've got Mr. Trudeau uh, shutting down all further debate on Bill C-11. It's going to be voted on tonight, and I can pretty much guarantee how it's going to go. So we're wandering into a new era of censorship in Canada. So this stuff just keeps rolling out and out, and uh, and we don't want people to be defeated. But But how do you get through it? Well, I mean, even from a practical standpoint, if we're looking at an era where You're no longer going to be able to garner online the support or the words or the information that you've been able to have for the past decades and decades in this country, thanks to the budding tyrants uh, that are running uh, this nation. Then you're really going to need to uh, surround yourself with physical. I mean, physical communities of support, not just online ones as well. And, And that can be challenging. And here at Free to Fly, we're looking at uh at hosting an event uh sometime over the next month or two specifically to start getting into that where we can say hey let's actually get together in a meeting uh sorry in a building and uh, shake each other's hands and hug and have conversations and share some food and drink and otherwise uh, yeah I think that's got to start happening
0: absolutely and i started doing um i do you know pub nights for PPC. And I, I've been greatly heartened with the turnouts because a lot of people, they're desperate for in-person community. I'm, you know, old timer, like, I'm not going to say like, you know, post 40, let's say, um, where social media was never my thing. I like in-person, you know, I like talking to people. I'm not great at social media. Mm-hmm. My LinkedIn was my biggest following at almost 25,000 followers there uh, as a former recruiter. And when I started posting about the the shot and posting even doctor's information, I was deleted off LinkedIn. That was a big, Hmm. one of the many big hits to me, but I've rebuilt, I have almost 8,000 followers again, and they're all like-minded. So I used to post And, you know, I'd get one or two likes. Now I post, you get a thousand likes just because everyone's of the same mind and we're supporting each other. But the most important thing is getting together and not just talking about the fearful topics, but also just getting to know each other, building new roots, because a lot of people have been upended from former friendships and family and right. that type of thing so i do we do things like euchre night you know we also have to learn like you say it's an it's an assault on culture so rebuild cultural traditions um mm-hmm. i i you know i had a, a a friend on and we talked about this this war cultural marxism and they have been indoctrinating the youth and, and you know what happened is a lot of young people turned against their parents because they and they didn't the parents didn't yeah. understand why but now so we dismantling-
1: know of the family, right? That's it's, it's uh, part of the core of that cultural Marxist uh, agenda. So.
0: Absolutely, and at its core, yeah. it's anti-God. You know, it's anti-life, but anti-God. And as a mm-hmm. Christian myself, uh, I found great uh, comfort in my faith, and that faith has deepened as we do see the true evil nature of what we're up against. And you know that God is good, um, mm-hmm. and so it does it does hearten me personally and keep me going. But yeah, we do have to to see each other in person and build local communities, particularly if they're, um, and I don't like to say this, but you you have to prepare and war for every eventuality if they are successful in implementing that sort of prison grid of the 15-minute city. If there's not enough pushback in each community, it might be different. Um, So you might see one community where they have it and another where they don't. You know, that type Mm. of scenario could play out as well. But just to end up today, where do you see things going um, in the next year to two? And then what other, um, you know, other than stepping into courage and calling um, to get some of the safety within the transportation sector, what other uh, solutions or ideas could you give people just to end up to, uh, to kind of take back their sovereignty? Just a few last minute, last words.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think when I'm asked that question, typically the answer I, I give is, is is the one that I just gave, is that it really does come down to individual action. And mm-hmm. uh, and we've seen that over the past couple of years. I, I like to tell the story of masking in airports as an example of that. And towards the end, when masks were soon to be not no longer a thing, but they were still supposedly required Uh, I I fly back and forth between Montreal and Toronto sometimes. So in Montreal, you still had the big brother announcements that were booming over the loudspeaker. Wear your masks at all times. Well, in Montreal, um, the majority had gotten to the point where they're like, well, yeah, I'm just not going to do that anymore. So 80% of the people were just not doing it anymore. And now you fly an hour to the West and you land in Toronto, 98% of the people were. I, I at the time was back. This was when I was just back flying. And so I was not wearing my mask. If you went on the Transport Canada website, you you could actually find the guidance and it would actually be clear that in the airports at that point, you only had to wear them going through security and getting on and off the airplane, which makes about as much sense as many other things we do. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> my point with all of this is that, and I had a couple of people come up to me, uh, agents and that with the airline saying, well, thank you for not wearing your mask. Like the agents are screaming at people for not wearing them. and But this is the thing you get to a certain tipping point and there's been scientific studies done on this and otherwise, and it's not 50% that need to, to, to stand against a certain thing. It's, I don't know what the number is. Let's say it's 15 or 20%. Once people start to see others doing something, they don't want, most people don't want to be the first or second or third, but they're okay mm-hmm. being the fourth and they're definitely fine being the 150th. Right. And so this is the nature of individual action and standing against uh, the things that are rolling out that we, we don't believe in now. Some of this stuff is very, very difficult to, uh, to, uh, to, to really get around once you start talking about the digitization of life and otherwise, we don't have the time to get into all of that, oh, but this yeah. is where these communities uh, come back and really uh, just in closing, you know, the last thing that, that, I, that I tend to say, because again, as, as I said already, it's really at the core of, of who I am is you've really got to find something bigger than yourself um to 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 uh, to invest in uh to, to live for to, to, to live for right and and uh my father pointed out a, a verse from the bible by it's uh, second chronicles uh, sixteen nine and it says for the eyes of the lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him and uh and i you know it's it's strange i, I I've, uh, I've been a believer for for decades and uh i, I don't actually remember pool to come across it, because I found comfort in that and, and a bunch of other things. So, so yeah. that's that's one piece that I'm, I'm really committed to being uh, more vocal about these days, because I it's where I find my strength, and uh, and I do believe uh, the Lord strengthens those whose hearts are fully committed to Him, and then that's how that's okay. how I get by. It. So you ask me how you know yeah. what we can do going forward. Uh, That's that's my answer. Turn to God. Uh, to
0: Turn to yeah. God. Absolutely. A lot of people I've interviewed, for, former atheists, have have turned to God. Um, as well and, you know, develop the courage to speak out. I am um, hoping uh, I will be doing presentations to um, councils in um, this riding as I still am uh, PBC Canada on the 15 minute city. I wanna do a good professional one. And I do uh, challenge or hopefully can inspire other people in their community across Canada to contact council, get the strategic plan, Book yourself on the agenda. Uh, there's lots of other videos out there, people doing the same pushback against these victim cities. It's another fraud. It doesn't help with su- sustainability, which is a trigger word like vaccine. Um, so, you, you know, and you have to come at it from a, a neutral, loving standpoint with right. data to stop it you've got to stop it because this yep. is this is a this is uh the next phase of their prison um so i'm you know get people to to talk to the council people because they're people too they're people they have a certain point of view but they can shift with an a, enough people pushing against it will stop it not enough yep. people it'll go through it's that simple how many people yep. are going to stand up if there's not enough tyranny will win uh in the short term in the long term no i mean but right. after much much more suffering so mm-hmm. anyways it's been great to talk to you great thank you very much Likewise. um free to fly and do you do um is is the you know can people get um private uh flights uh um is the last question people have asked me yeah. to ask you no
1: thanks for thanks for asking that because it'll save me a couple emails we get that question Fairly yeah. often, as much as I'd love to, uh, there are a no. few, uh, there are a few areas in this country that are as, uh, as bogged down by bureaucracy and oversight as, uh, transportation. Uh, right. we don't do private, uh, flights, but, but please do visit, visit us at freetofly.ca, sign up for, our, uh, for our newsletter, follow us on social media, all those things that, uh, I've got a lovely woman that, uh, that helps us with administration. She, she always tells me, uh, when I do interviews to say that, and I rarely do because I'm not a very good salesman, but, uh, but there you go, uh. <laughs> Free to fly yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. well, go. thanks very much, Greg. Keep doing the great work. I'll keep doing it here as well. And hopefully uh, together we'll inspire others and we'll stand up and stop these 15-minute cities from getting far along.
1: Amen. Thanks Which for amen.
0: all your work. All right. Yeah, God bless. Bye now. Thank
1: you.